This episode is sponsored by Little Red's Basket Shop. What's in your basket? Hello, and welcome back to Defender Resolves First, an unmatched podcast hosted by yours truly, John, known to the Restoration Games community as Tommy Elliott. And with me, as always, is my charming co-host, Michael, known to the Discord as Sidious256. What's going on, Michael? Oh, not much. We're in prime tournament season, so we have to have another prime tournament episode for you. That's it. Big Mike. Let's tell those folks what we're talking about today. We're going to talk about the big three. You'll love to see them if they're on your team. Oh, yeah. You uh, you love to see them. You hate to love them sometimes. We're talking about the big three. And and who are the big three, Mike? Just to fill our listeners in if they don't already know. Well, I'm going to have to go with Willow, Spike, and Angel. For but, um, <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Good. Sad joke, folks. Sad joke. We shouldn't be picking on Buffy as much as we pick on them. But really, we all know them as Bigfoot, Medusa, and of course, Sherlock Holmes. Absolutely. And so today, Mike and I and some esteemed guests will be breaking down these three fighters and uh, we'll be sussing out some weaknesses, some strategies. I think we've got a good show lined up for you today. What, what are you thinking, Mike? I think we have an amazing show. we got some amazing guests. We're going to love to hear from all of them. It's going to make everybody's day hopefully much better to hear our beautiful listening voices and well why don't we start off what do you got for us about our friend medusa yeah let's just jump right into medusa uh medusa right now in the winner of champions tournament i think we should start with her because she's actually the second most played fighter in the tournament she's got 70 plays so far um, what's interesting about that is so many people are letting her through and we'll talk about this a little bit later with with Sherlock, but it, the disparate uh, disparity between like the amount of plays Medusa is getting as opposed to the other two is pretty extreme, despite the fact that Medusa has a 69% win rate. Nice. Which, yeah, nice. It's pretty phenomenal, honestly. Um, Medusa's big strats are, you know, she's all about discarding your opponent's uh, hand, whether through her defense hiss and slither or through her harpy sidekick cards. She really wants to whittle you down and get you to a point where you don't have defense so she can play Gaze of Stone, which is her signature card. It's a, only a two attack. But if you win combat with it, you deal eight damage automatically. And I feel like we've actually seen a couple of Gaze of Stones go through this tournament, right, Mike? I think we've seen more than just a couple. Um, when the, those wonderful, wonderful Unmatched League games come across in the Unmatched Dis- League Discord, and you see the after combats, what happened, a lot of people will say, well, what happened? Well, it just so happened that I got turned to stone. It's just one of those yeah. ways. It's a, it's a great way to win. It's everybody's known way to close out a game. Uh, or, you know, you do the second shot and just keep whittling them down. It's it's sometimes just not fun playing against her. So I think we have a good guest to hopefully help us in getting some insight of why they might let us through. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed, for our listeners, uh, the little Easter egg Mike just included there. Shout out to our boy, Hat Chowder, constantly asking, what happened to every single loser in this tournament? Hat Chowder doing the Lord's work. But moving on, we do have a special guest here to talk about Medusa. We're talking about somebody who has never been Medusa in competitive play, who, you know, even with a spotty track record, just continues to take her on. He's going for the name Perseus. We're talking to Pimetapin. 
Cool. Well, now that we've talked a little bit about why Medusa is so effective, we want to talk to the certified Medusa Slayer in the Discord. Uh, I know him as Jacob, but you may know him as... Actually, Jacob, how do you pronounce your Discord name? Because I feel like I'm going to butcher it saying it out loud. <laughs> Thanks for the invite, John. Uh, that's a great question, and there are many answers I'm going to say. Uh, I've been called... Pomadepin, I've been called Pomdepin, I've been called Pom, I've been called Pomegranate, you could call me Perseus. Um, this name has originated from the French word for pinecone, Pomdepin, apple of pine. But in my Discord name, there's no spaces, so in my mind, it's a brand new word that's just completely made up, so you can pronounce it however you want. Okay, well, I'm going to go with Pom. <laughs> Personally, my favorite is the Mr. Deppin. I will give Baked Goods credit for the Mr. Deppin. The extra M's were not his favorite part, though. <laughs> Sounds like something Baked Goods would do. Well, now that we've solved the mystery of your name, which is super fascinating, it's the kind of thing that uh, I'm really excited to do on the podcast when we host our community members, because who'd have thunk it had this big French origin, which is pretty cool. Now that we've got the the name origin story, Mr. Palm, or Mr. Deppin, as Baked Goods like to, to say, what's your unmatched origin story? This is a question we like to ask everybody on the podcast. What got you into Unmatched in the first place? So my first unmatched set was Cobble and Fog, which I purchased a week before Summer of Legends was announced. Oh, that's my favorite. Uh, that timing is actually the only reason I am in this community because purchasing the set, I decided to look up videos for more unmatched fighters just to see what the other options were. And the video popped up and it's like, ooh, that sounds cool. So I just signed up for the tournament and now we're here. Wow. So you purchased this set a week before Summer of Legends and then you top eight uh in that same <laughs> tournament that's pretty crazy what what was that journey like um it it was a long journey you want to hear it from the beginning yeah and you know what if you're gonna if we're gonna launch into this i'd love it if you could tell me specifically since this is the big three episode and you are our resident medusa slayer um as somebody who has never banned medusa in competitive play you get the game a week earlier you join the discord you see what everybody's talking about you know about the big three you know medusa's one of the big three you're a brand new player and yet you still launch in full first and you just play Medusa, you just let that happen. So yeah, tell me about your competitive journey with Medusa in that first tournament. What did that look like? Um, well, her first appearance for me was in round one. I, I guess appearance is a stretch, but I picked, I was the leader. So picking two thirds of the big three, I had Bigfoot and Medusa and my Medusa got banned. So from that point on, I decided, okay, I have more experience with Bigfoot now since I didn't have experience with either before. So I decided to keep picking Bigfoot going on in the future. Uh, getting into my round two match, this is the first time I had the option to ban Medusa because my opponent had picked her. Uh, my opponent's picks for that specific matchup in order were Robin Hood, Ingen, then Medusa. And since Medusa was the last pick, I thought it was a little weird. It's like, ooh, maybe 
my opponent doesn't really know how to play Medusa, are, and picking Robin Hood first should imply that that is their main fighter. You are like a and that's, shark in the water smelling blood right now. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so I had to just ban their Robin Hood. Like, all right, if that's who they know how to play the best, let's get him out of the water. Wow. And I think that shook my opponent for the round. Uh, but that's where I started playing against Medusa. Wow. And then you go on to never ban her. Yeah, so after that match, realizing what happens when you let someone who doesn't know how to play Medusa use Medusa, I thought, okay, I'm sure a bunch of these people don't know how to play Medusa. So my round three match, which you might be a bit familiar with, John. <laughs> yeah, uh, you could say that. I have PTSD for uh, that we, match. <laughs> ooh, I had a fun time with Bigfoot in the rafters, but then we had uh, Medusa in Little Red. Yeah, well, that was the thing. I mean... I did know how to play Medusa, or so I like to flatter myself. So you didn't ban my Medusa, and it was not to your advantage that time. Um, no. Game two, you did beat my Little Red with Medusa, which was, I think, the first time I had actually lost with a Little Red. Granted, I hadn't been playing long, but that was something new for me. So I was a bit scared going into our game three uh, Little Red into Raptors. That was a close match, too, as I recall. I was one card uh, away from from winning it. I just totally flubbed positioning and just did not play very smartly. Um, and you, of course, are a very skilled player. Obviously, you went on to the, the top eight. Um, but, man, good times, good memories. Uh, it was great. Three Raptors taken out with a killing blow from three larger than life. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's so funny because... So this past week, um, I was up against Bug, who is also the Little Red Specialist, and I was talking to Zero Skater beforehand, and he said, you could always take the Raptors into Little Red. And I said, you know, actually, <laughs> after my match with Palm last tournament, I will never <laughs> play the Raptors again. I just still have those, like, those terror, like, Vietnam flashbacks of, like, you dropping three logs on each of my Raptors is killing blows, and, uh, I, yeah, so... That's never happening again. So, yeah, okay. So, <laughs> you so you don't ban Medusa. It doesn't work out for you here. And yet, you don't pivot. You don't look at this loss and say, okay, maybe I really shouldn't be going up against Medusa. You still continue the streak of not banning her and taking her on. Yeah, so my round four match was against Sojourn. And I had heard that he asked for a big three ban against zero skater in his match right beforehand so i'm thinking the reason he's asking for a big three band is because he doesn't like the big three because he probably doesn't play them so even though it didn't work out here i figured okay i'll try it again because um, now i had more reason to actually believe this strategy would work for me sure now it didn't work um but an argument could be made because I was against Sojourn. <laughs> yeah. What happened in that match? Sojourn happened. Sure. Yeah. Uh, that. Yeah, that was my only loss in Swiss, and I got 2-0'd by Sojourn there. Wow, only loss. Well, yeah, I suppose it would have to be, right? Because then you go on to the top eight. So yep. keep going. I'm loving the journey so far. Yeah, so then uh, by that point, I think 
in the Discord, I talked a lot about how I'm just not going to ban Medusa. Yeah, and you sure did. You're pretty I, vocal. I kind of just stuck with it. Going into round five, I felt this is my brand. I'm not going to tarnish it now. And I decided, okay, I'll play against Medusa and Robin Hood in round five, which the Robin Hood Little Red game was extremely close. Um, but yeah, again, I didn't beat Medusa here. <laughs> I played against her. <laughs> Still absolutely no reason for me to keep this up. Uh, and then we get into round six. Uh, this time, I was the follower. So up until this point, I was always the leader. Um, actually, that's not true. Against Sojourn, I was the follower. Okay. Um, but besides the Sojourn match, I was the leader. So every round I won, I was the leader. And I picked Sherlock, Bigfoot, Little Red. And they always picked Medusa first, except for when they picked her third. And that's what started the band journey. Right. Um, but yeah, so this time I had picked Medusa, which she got banned from me. And then looking at my opponent's lineup, they had Sherlock, Bigfoot, and Dracula. So I did the common sense thing and just banned Sherlock, which means I've also never banned Bigfoot. <laughs> this is a if we want to continue with those stats that's a technicality <laughs> but I, I did feel. I did play Bigfoot twice that match my loss because uh, I went two and one I lost to Dracula so I had to beat Bigfoot with both Little Red and InGen and you did you won the day yeah. what yep. okay so then you get top eight right six week tournament then you go straight to the top eight mm -hmm. Any Medusa dealings there? Um, my feelings for Medusa are I'm going to play against Medusa. <laughs> sure. Sure. Did it come up at all? <laughs> it absolutely came it up. It did come up at least once because I, I personally remember something very <laughs> interesting that it was uh, during a game where you were Dracula, uh, correct? I was Dracula. Yeah, that was round three our our game three of that round so if we want to rewind the clock a little bit uh, i did get to play the medusa versus little red matchup and for the first time in my summer of legends journey i beat medusa with little red against fake goods in baskerville oh that's exciting it is he does not think it's as exciting anytime i bring up baskerville and beating the big three he gets rather upset at me so have fun listening to the palm. <laughs> Listen, that is a feeling that I can relate to because my Bigfoot um, defeat was at Baskerville uh, at your hands. Was it? Yeah, it was. I believe you. You were running. I didn't. You were running through doors and smashing my Raptors. Oh yeah, it absolutely was. I have nightmares. Baskerville about is just a fun map. <laughs> Everybody listening now knows Baskerville is the map to ban against you now. Secret strats are out. Oh. <laughs> I mean, that's the map that got banned against me most of the time. So I think I was just playing it whenever it didn't get banned because I find it fun. Sure. It was like, cool. Um, yeah, so I've got my matchup with Baked Goods playing Little Red against Medusa. And that's what sent us into a game three because his Sinbad destroyed my little red on stream okay um but it was medusa against dracula 
And the part that really gave me a name with playing against Medusa is in this matchup. I think it was turn two, Medusa attacks Dracula, and I decided not to defend the attack. I had a fate in hand, a dash in hand, and maybe another defense in hand, but I decided it's Medusa. You don't need to defend her attacks. Oh, no. Uh, this is where Mike popped into the Twitch chat, actually. Yeah, I just I just remember saying something along the lines of imagine being Alpha AF that you don't have to defend against Medusa. Just imagine being that Alpha man. <laughs> so how'd that work out for you? Um, I took a second shot to the face, <laughs> <laughs> as what one would do when they decide to take an undefended attack against Medusa. Sure. Um, but then uh, it came down to exhaustion. Actually, there was a pretty big turnaround and a, almost a comeback story in that match. Almost a comeback story. You know, at the top so of the cool. hour, I called you the Medusa Slayer, but more and more it's sounding like that's that <laughs> might not be the case. <laughs> I mean, I'm on my quest. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So I'm told I, my job is to slay Medusa, so I keep on going for it. So we're heading in now. We're in the winner of Champions Tournament. Uh, week three is starting as we're recording this. Um, still no Medusa bands. <laughs> How's that working not. out for you? Um, well, I'm currently 2-0 and in the tournament at the time of recording. So that means Medusa has yet to ruin my day. <laughs> cool. So, t- um, so talk to me about some of those wins. Uh, you got it. Let's pause. Because I'm pulling up all that stats so I can actually talk to you about the game. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, I got it pulled up. Uh, Alright, so game one in my winter of champions journey, I... I got my usual lineup as leader, Sherlock, Bigfoot, Little Red, and my opponent picked Medusa, Ingen, and Sun Wukong, which is a new fighter for me to be up against since Battle of Legends Volume 2 was not available in Summer of Legends. Um, and of course, I banned the Ingen just to let Medusa go through, and I thought it'd be fun to slay the monkey. <laughs> like, Why not add a friend to that list of fighters I want to beat? Sure. And I got my Little Red win against Sun Wukong, which meant we weren't going to see Little Red fight Medusa. Um, but I did end up going into a third game with Medusa against Bigfoot, where my Bigfoot came out on top. I nearly lost to Medusa again here. What saved me was recognizing map positioning at the last second. I was... Standing in a spot where Medusa could have double maneuvered away and I would have lost an exhaustion. Right after I I thought I was done with my turn, I'm like, oh, that's the right spot for me to be on. And before my opponent uh, took his final turn, I was like, all right, I needed to move for my second maneuver and just get right here um, instead of stay in place. And I believe the back spot on the yellow bridge of Sarkadon 
With Bigfoot using at least a boost value of two, you could attack everywhere on the board. And that is what made that difference. Wow. Okay. Last minute game saving decision. Yeah. Uh, I nearly missed that. That's that's the second um, week in a row on this podcast we've heard about a last last minute end of the end of the wire game changing uh, thought that saved the game. That's really cool. All right, but then week two's up. Medusa's back. You're not banning her. So how's that go? Um, so this time I usually end up banning Ingen, mm-hmm. but I was the follower here, and my opponent got Sherlock Medusa and Ingen. The reason I ban Ingen is not because I don't like fighting them. It is simply because I'm not banning Medusa, and he's usually higher up in order of when they pick him. Right. Uh, so I, I banned the Sherlock, and now I'm against Medusa and Ingen. I got... Actually, I didn't get to play Medusa. My opponent picked Ingen for both games, which was a logical decision. Um, granted that he won two chances with Ingen uh, going in for the first game. And then the second game when he had map choice, it came down to map choice with the weaker fighter makes a lot more sense than giving my little red map choice against Medusa when that's the matchup I have the most experience with. Right. Well, that's the... Definitely went sheer fear of the Medusa Slayer why he went Ingen twice. It was sheer fear of the Medusa Slayer. Don't let anybody lie to you. That's it. Your reputation precedes you. It's it's funny listening to it all, uh, you know, laid out like that as a narrative because, at least in in the discussions, um, in the Discord channels and everything, the idea that you are the big bad Medusa Slayer is very prevalent. And it you you mentioned this earlier. You said it's my brand, and I think that that's accurate. I think I associate Palm most with playing Little Red, um, and second most with letting Medusa through. So. I want to ask, you know, we hear, we hear this narrative. It's kind of a mixed bag. Um, what makes you so confident in this play? Um, is it is it really now at this point that you're in a corner and it's your brand and you've got to stick to it? Or is there uh, a deeper attitude behind it? Yeah, so it started off with the, all right, my opponent might not be familiar with the fighter, then it became my brand for that very brief period of time. But now I'm at a point where I'm confident letting my opponent play Medusa because I probably know her deck more than my opponent. And I'd rather be up against a fighter whose deck I have memorized rather than a fighter who I'm learning what the cards do as they're revealing them. Right. What do you make, I want to ask you, and I asked this to Joshua last week, um, what do you make of the fact that Medusa is seeing so many more plays this season than uh, last in terms of the you know tournament? La- last time she was looking at a similar amount of bands to Sherlock, uh, wildly different <laughs> this time. While Medusa and Sherlock have the same roughly amount of picks, uh, Sherlock's band percentage is through the roof and. Last I looked, Medusa was the first or second most played fighter, period, this tournament. A lot of people are letting her through. A lot of people are pulling the Mr. Deppin, if you will, um, and not banning her. So where do you think this community confidence is coming from? Uh, I'd really like to get some insight from you as somebody who pioneered this. 
I mean, I'd love to take credit for, although I doubt their inspiration was watching me play. Um, I, I think it comes down to Battle of Legends Volume 2 is very new for everyone, and this is the first time seeing them in the tournament. So putting bands more in that direction or in hard counters that they're afraid of might be more prevalent than just banning big three nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's some truth to that. I mean, and even the fact Medusa is getting through, and she's not stomping. She doesn't have like an 80 to 100% win rate or anything, but she is winning more often than she's not, right? She's still looking at a uh, roughly 65% win rate, uh, give or take 5%. Uh, so w- when you go up against Medusa, what's your ideal scenario? What would you suggest to the listeners who want to fight Medusa? Because plenty of them are, and the majority of them are losing. So what advice can you give to anybody who wants to take on Medusa in the tournament scene and the release uh, rumbles that we we may have in the future or in the uh, latter? Uh, Something that's really important is taking out the Harpies before they can use Claws That Catch. That card, three discards, is significant. Just any discard is bad. Um, But getting three out of the way where they just can't even use the card is going to be extremely beneficial for you in that fight. Another thing is you want Medusa to be forced into the aggressor position. If you can force Medusa to aggress you, you have to worry less about her special ability where she will ping you for damage every time you come in. You want to be able to hit and run, which is very difficult with a ranged fighter. So I think that brings a lot of positioning experience, which is not something you just get, um, but something I think a lot of people don't pay attention to when they play. And if you start paying attention to how you're positioned on the board with each maneuver, you can start to work things more into your favor. Yeah, I can confidently say that positioning has been my downfall many a time in this game. (laughs) It's something that I'm constantly working on. So I can imagine that that's a relatable thought for many of our listeners. Who, so, okay, so we know Little Red is your girl, but beyond Little Red, is there anybody that you feel very confident taking in to a battle with Medusa and feeling relatively good about your odds? I definitely feel confident with Bigfoot as well, which is part of my success in this journey. My two most used fighters are Little Red and Bigfoot. And since I know I'm, I know Little Red's deck more than my opponent does, hopefully, I'm comfortable there. But I am also confident in Bigfoot against Medusa because in that rock, paper, scissor triangle of the big three, Bigfoot is the one who is supposed to be beating Medusa. Sure. And I've been forced to fall back onto that at least three times as we've seen well you heard it here first folks in an episode about defeating the big three we've got uh mr deppin advocating using one of the big three to do so you know uh you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become a villain or so they say (laughs) all right mike do you have anything to add before we let uh palm go and enjoy his illustrious evening you know, maybe one last question, um, something that gets brought up quite a bit by some folks in the Discord, and I think Zero Skater is a really, really large proponent of this one is, 
there are games where you see Medusa and it looks very close. It looks like, you know, the health differentials, like maybe Medusa is down to three health or five health. But in reality, it, it wasn't close. There was no way you were going to get those last three, like, health ticks off, if you will. And do you ever feel that way? Or maybe you feel it's the opposite? How do you how do you feel going into that? Do you feel like maybe there's like a health disparity of, say, 10? You know, Medusa's at 10, you're at zero. But you're like, man, if I had one more turn, I really think I could have gotten this Yeah, off. that's actually how most of my games have felt i think all of my medusa games besides the game i had won medusa was left with double digits for health but in most of those i felt very very close and winnable i think against sojourn in my bottom seven cards i had a once upon the time three baskets what big hands and two other cards i think what big mouth you have. And that's a lot of damage. Um, that's two of my best auto damage cards, as well as three of my what's in your baskets. So it's like, obviously Sojourn's a great player and I'm not saying that if the card draw was different, I definitely would have beaten him. But I, it's a game where I had a chance, a better chance with better card draw. Now, of course, against him, it's hard to outplay during just because of how strong he is with his decision making yeah those after action reports that sojourn does i think really demonstrates the level of analysis and uh you know game theory that he's capable of well jacob mr deppin pimetapin palm de pin a man of many names in search of just one perseus Thanks so much for coming on the uh, podcast and joining us and talking us through your major, um, excuse me, Medusa journey. Uh, do you have anything else to add to our listeners? Um, I just want to thank you guys for having me and thank everyone in the community listening to this and keeping our community going because it's a great place to be. Amen to that. Cool. Thanks so much, man. Well, I'm sure we'll talk to you soon. We'll have you on here again. Uh, Moon Knight is coming out. And in, for anybody listening who does not know, uh, Pen and I are the uh, resident Moon Knight nerds. So we'll definitely have you back on to talk about Moon Knight when that deck is released and when we can dive in. I am very excited for that day. You and me both, brother. Thanks so much. Many thanks to Pimetapin for joining us for that interview. Uh, I really like getting the personal history, you know, of our, our friends and our community players getting getting into the tournament, wouldn't you say? I, I couldn't agree more. And you know what else I can't agree more on? Is how much of a big competition Bigfoot is. What would hey, you say about that? <laughs> double bigs, double bigs. We got Big Mike talking Bigfoot in this big competition. We're throwing down triple Bs right now. Yo, uh, I would definitely agree, though. Um, just looking at some stats for the winner of Champions Tournament, Bigfoot is the fourth most played in the tournament. Um, he is behind Yenenga, Medusa, and Little Red. So he's at 68 plays. Little Red's at 69. Nice. So nice. she's just she's just one ahead. Um, and the win rate there is a flat 50. So it's interesting that we're still talking about Bigfoot as a member of the Big Three with that, that 50% win rate. Uh, what, what do you make of that, Mike? 
Well, what I think it comes down to is that he's slowly be getting more counters as the game goes on in reality. You know, I think some indirect counters that people obviously know about is Little Red, Muldoon, a um, couple others that could beat him. You know, you always feel like you could be in the game, but he just walks up, he stat checks you, and then he leaves, right? So how do you how do you go against that? Well, now with Sun Wukong out, and all of his stat checks kind of just disappear because it goes to a clone rather than himself, it, it makes his win rate kind of go down, as well as Yananga being, well, Yananga. But yeah. other than that, uh, 50% win rate. I don't think that's bad considering 68 plays. That's an even 34 and 34. I guess it's more so who are you going against, right? Um, other than that, yeah, I, I think it's a great start. What would you say some of the strategy for that guy is all about? Yeah, um, I mean, the thing with Bigfoot is that Bigfoot, he's got the jackalope as a sidekick. And the jackalope, if you can get off all three of the jackalope's um, schemes, jackalope horns, that's six auto damage right there, which is a significant chunk for any fighter. Uh, Bigfoot has more cancels as defenses than anybody else. He has five cancel defenses, three feints, two, it's just your imagination. And uh, he has three gigantic logs that he just wants to drop on you. Three attacks with six value. They're just flat. There's no effect on them. He's just walking up. Like you said, Mike, he's stat checking you. Um, and I think that this is the perfect moment to talk about Bigfoot as we talk about the meta because this episode, I think, is very timely. We're talking about the big three, and as we've seen with what's coming in the Marvel characters, no spoilers for anybody listening, don't worry, but what we know of the big three, I think could be very different in a year's time, and I think that Bigfoot may be on his way out, so no better time than now, I think, to have this discussion. I couldn't agree more. I think as as time goes on, it just makes it so that when more characters come out, they're going to have better matchups. I think stat checkers sometimes, you know, at the beginning like it is now, they're going to be the ones who are top of the list, as always. He also can keep a great hand advantage with his passive ability. Um, But, you know, as more complex characters come out and then possibly better stat checkers or people who can – take the four values and either eat the four values or hit into the four values. Well, they're going to find their way in. And who do you think could talk better than anyone about how to beat Bigfoot, my friend? Oh, well that would have to be the hunter himself. Prospero. I, I couldn't agree more. Why don't we get a good quick glimpse into what he thinks if they should all be destroyed? And with us here today to talk about hunting Bigfoot, you may know him as a legend who has won an official tournament. He owns, or he manages, a board game store. He does not need any intro. He has hunted most things that have hunted you. Prospero. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, we are here to talk about our wonderful Bigfoot segment as we all know he is a stat checker who just walks up to you, hits you with a log, walks away, and see what you can mm-hmm. do about it, right? That's his whole thing. So you are pretty synonymous within the Discord for being the man to take him down with the great InGen characters. We all know you main him. We all know he's at a 17% win rate. But nobody <laughs> strikes fear into the hearts of men like you with the InGen. So how about this? How about we start off by asking, what is your unmatched origin story? Yeah, well, um, my Unmatched Origin story goes back pretty much to the beginning of Unmatched publicly. Um, 
I work with restoration games at conventions, uh, and I was at, it was, I want to say PAX Unplugged. It was either PAX Unplugged or Gen Con. Um, and it was two or three years ago. Um, and they they tell us that they have a new line of games. What, what they'll do is like a month beforehand, they'll send us the instructions for all the new games that they'll be demoing so that we can learn them and have more information. Uh, so that way when we're there, we're ready to go and we can demo the games for people. Um, and they were under the impression that Unmatched would be kind of a hot commodity, mainly because they have a, had a limited supply. Um, and so they, uh, so that was my introduction to it was at the convention. Um, I hadn't really heard of it before that. I, this is actually the one restoration game I played the original. I did play the original Star Wars Epic Duels. Um, not a ton, but I had I had some information on my, about how that worked. Um, That's pretty. Fun. Yeah, I remember enjoying the original Star Wars Epic Duels, um, but when Unmatched came along, I was like, "Oh, this is really cool!" And Justin himself taught me how to play. It was uh, I think the evening before the con actually opened, and then the con opened, and we had a line every day. Our sub, we had it broken up into four, three or four days supply, um, depending on which con it was, because I cannot remember. Um, and every day we would sell out of our day supply in 15 minutes. Wow. Um, and so then we would just have to tell people the rest of it. Well, there'll be more available tomorrow. Get here early. Like, um, and Mondo was in a similar situation because they also were selling, um, unmatched stuff and they also would just fly through their supply um and i i was astonished i was absolutely dumbfounded at this response like i had seen fireball island and um and like downforce expansions and those kind of things launch never this sort of like energetic excitement um for a product so i knew it was special um after uh the convention most of the time they let us take a certain amount of restoration games home as, as part of our pay uh, for working and selling. Um, and because I had demoed Unmatched uh, some, um, and because I really enjoyed it, they let me take home the demo copies from the convention um, that they had sleeved and had been used at the convention. So that's how I got Battle of Legends 1, Robin Hood vs. Bigfoot, and Bruce Lee. Um, and that was the start of it. And I really wow. enjoyed it. I signed up for playtesting as soon as it happened. Uh, as soon as that stuff started, I was picking up sets basically as they came out. Um, but I think it wasn't really until everybody got the uh, got this competitive bug and um, zero and uh, and all the tos started organizing a competitive scene that I really realized like how much I enjoyed this game, how, how focused it could be. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of how I got started with unmatched. I I've been here basically since the beginning and, and riding this train. Um, I now know about as much about 
characters that aren't out as I do about characters that are, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. Wow, that's that's really cool. You've been there genuinely since the beginning. Do you think in the beginning where you were having those long lines, um, was that demand from the connection to Star Wars Epic Duels or was that from just like the marketing materials? Like what do you think was driving that craze before the game was, was even out? Well, with restoration games, it's basically all about the nostalgia. It's about the, the bringing back stuff that people know. Um, and like obviously that uh, sales system has worked out very well. And frankly, I think it's created great games because as I've mentioned before, I've this was the first restoration game that I played the original. Um, but I was selling Fireball right. Island. I love Downforce. Um, Dinosaur Tea Party is great. Like I can, I can just continually name great games that they make that I really enjoy having never played the original. So they're making good games, but the fact that it's also got that connection is really big. So I believe there had been some marketing beforehand, maybe a couple of reviews um, that the system was good, that the the game that people found the gameplay really fun, and so I think that on top of the fact that it was limited supply, um, really sure. just drove it. Um, I was very happy at the next convention that we had m- much more stock, and I could sell it to everyone who wanted one. Yeah, wow, that's awesome. Um, so. Thanks for joining us today, Prospero. We're, we're talking about the big three um, and we've got you on because I think the community really looks to you as the the man who hunts Bigfoot, especially after that very first tournament we had where you won and you had that huge like Bigfoot win. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little about your about your history taking down Bigfoot. Yeah. Well, if you were hearing about the big three, I thought you'd be talking about Sherlock. I only play Sherlock now. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> that that is uh not my choice most of the time um but uh as far as my history taking down bigfoot so at the first tournament the meta wasn't really like it had been theorized for some time what the what the meta is who's strongest and that sort of thing um this was right after the release of little red and beowulf so they weren't as played um just, just a little bit. Like, obviously, uh, Bug, my uh, great opponent, um, who I have played many no. times. Uh, he is well known for Little Red, but at that point, there wasn't a ton of play there. But the the big three had already been theorized. But the rankings were a little different. Most people put Bigfoot first, then Medusa, then Sherlock, and. Like this, I don't think the strength of a of a good Sherlock, someone who knows what they're doing with him, had really been discovered at that point. Um, and Medusa was consistent, but Bigfoot was seen as the like the ease of play, the entry, the barrier to entry was great. So Bigfoot was first pick, and so mm-hmm. I had uh, I'm a big fan of professional uh, esports, particularly professional League of Legends. And the kind of dance you do with pick ban in professional League of Legends is most of the time you ban the strongest picks until they get nerfed. But sometimes a team who thinks they're tricky will leave it up and because they think they've got a plan, a way to beat it. 
And so I decided I'd be tricky. And I knew Bigfoot would be big going into it. Um, and so I looked around for potential counters. Um, I didn't own the Jurassic Park set at the time. Um, but I played one or two trial runs on Tabletop Simulator. And I loved Muldoon. I love how he plays. He's all about positioning. He's all about playing the map. And I know that Bigfoot's strengths, though many, um, some of the biggest strengths is movement, uh, the ability to get wherever he needs to go, including moving through enemies, um, and hitting you in the face really hard. So I could take away one of those strengths, the movement with the traps. If you position them well on the map, um, also a lot of people with Bigfoot draw cards using their passive to keep their hand size up. If they are doing that, then that essentially um, balances Muldoon's card draw from his traps. So he can keep Muldoon can keep a fairly large hand size, and he's not as much at risk for exhaustion. Uh, and so that was my theory, and the couple of tests I ran went well. Um, and so I started pulling him out in the tournament. I think I played him at least three or four times, um, leading up all the way up to, I think, the the winner's bracket final against Bug. was the I think the last time in that tournament I used him. Um, mm-hmm. And I did. I beat his little red on Marmorial, but then I think I lost the next two, um, which put me to the losers bracket final, where I played another three games, and then the grand final. Um, but in the grand final, I didn't pick Muldoon because I figured by then someone had some idea how to counter. Uh, so I picked Bugs <laughs> sure. Little Red. So neither of us got our. Um, our main characters. Yeah, that's kind of my, yeah, Uh, that was kind of my history was I was kind of the, I don't want to say I was necessarily the first to beat Bigfoot, um, but I was, I was the one who had the idea to like, let someone pick Bigfoot, let them pick Bigfoot first. Because Mm -hmm. I was going to ban their second or third pick because I had an answer for Bigfoot. Yeah, and and then you became the Muldoon guy. <laughs> That's it. I, I did. Um, <laughs> I think not only the Muldoon guy, but I mean, you literally have a move named after you. Like, everybody knows it. It's called the Prospero. You, you call for backup, you drop some traps around somebody, and then they should all be destroyed. Right? You know, you try to get it for the seven. I mean, that's got to p- feel kind of great, right? Like having a name moved out, named after you. Yeah. Moved, named after it can you. be difficult to pull off. I think in tournament, I only pulled it off once against um, Bug Hunter's Little Red. Um, not Little Red. It was actually the Huntsman uh, that I did it because it's a lot easier to do against the Huntsman. And you need a lot of setup to do it. And you need the right map to do it. It's it's a very specific move. Definitely not as um, not as open as like the Red Death or or the thing. Um, right. Uh, but it, it it is it is a move. 
Well, the fact that it's a little more niche, a little harder to pull off, I think that's why it's better that it's named after you. I think that makes it, you know, more unique. Um, so what advice do you have for anybody listening on how to take down the big guy, Mr. Bigfoot? I have noticed this tournament that a lot of folks uh, seem pretty comfortable heading in to fight him. I think the meta has shifted a little bit. That's largely thanks to what you did in that first tournament. I just, just, that's a natural evolution. I think, you know, somebody like you, you win the tournament and you create this environment where taking Bigfoot down is not this impossible task. And now we're at where we are now, you know, that's like, it's a slope that that we've done. So I'd love if you could, you know, tell anybody listening, just some advice you have on, on bringing them down. Yeah. So I think that particularly really good players like zero, um, know that I believe that the Bigfoot Muldoon matchup is actually more of a skill matchup. It's it's not a counter. I I wouldn't even I would not call okay. it a counter. I wouldn't say that if you've never picked up Muldoon before and your opponent has never picked up Bigfoot before, I don't necessarily think that um that you're going to just have an advantage by default. Um one of the other advantages that I had at that point was that Bigfoot was being banned so much that people weren't playing him. And so mm-hmm. um, when Bigfoot goes in, uh, when they went in and they now they're playing Bigfoot, they are not playing him optimally uh, against me who have prepared for the Bigfoot. So that in that way, I had an advantage. Um, I don't necessarily think that I will have that advantage always. Uh, I have been a lot more hesitant to pick Muldoon in this tournament, not only because people know that I'm known for it, um, but also because I think it requires a lot more finesse and like map pick is very important for Muldoon because he almost plays the map more than he plays the opponent. Um, But with those caveats out of the way, um, we can talk about taking down Bigfoot. And, and what it is. So when you talk about Bigfoot's strengths, obviously he has a lot of them. He has good card draw. He has six auto damage through um, Jackalope Horns. Um, he's got really big numbers on his attack cards. Um, and a good amount of versatiles, too. And the Jackalope only has, I think those three cards, if I'm not mistaken, the, the three Jackalope horns are the only Jackalope specific cards. Um, yeah. The Jackalope can use any of his canceled defenses too. Right. Um, which is pretty significant. Yes, absolutely. So the great, one of the good things about Muldoon is he's not going to get completely screwed up by cancels the same way that Simbad or red or, um, or like Bruce Lee will. So the faints are annoying, but, that's all they are. Um, so first of all, with Muldoon, you also have to, you whenever you're taking into account these things, you always have to figure out, okay, what are my strengths and weaknesses? What are my opponent's strengths and weaknesses? Uh, Zero likes to talk about the win condition. Um, you got you to gotta kill him. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to figure out what you need in order to do that and what you need to not die before you do. Um, and so against Bigfoot, it's really a matter of don't let him touch you. Because 
uh, Muldoon has some good defenses. He has five copies of four strength defenses, three leap aways and two. Um, I've hunted most things that have hunted you. Um, four a forward value defense is a good defense. It like yeah, if you right. block a um, a log with that, you take two damage. Which if you block every log with that, that's only six. And Muldoon... Yeah, you're really mitigating a, yeah. a big chunk of what he's doing. Yeah, so if he does six that way, and six with Jackalophorns, he still has to find a damage or two. That's not enough. Which, against most characters, like, you hit them with all three logs, even if they're blocking, they're hurting. Um, pretty significantly. The, if not completely taken out. But... The trick, of course, being is that he has a lot more attacks than that. Bigfoot does. So, you have to make it so he only hits you five times in the game. And the way you do that okay. is by positioning your um, traps and workers in a way that he can't reach you, but you can reach him. Um, that That's kind of the, the big thing. So, my... Right. So that's that's the first thing is that's more of a Muldoon hint than a Bigfoot hint is stay like don't let him hit you. <laughs> he can't log you if he can't hit you. Um, and every log that he has to waste whacking through a worker, it's it's that's free money because. Uh, workers, <laughs> it's free real estate. Workers are the freest resource in Unmatched. Um, like Dracula's <laughs> sisters, he's got three of them. He can bring two back during the game. That's five sisters. Um, Robin Hood has four outlaws. He can bring two back during the course of the game. That's six outlaws. Muldoon, if you play it right, gets nine workers. That's that's nine attacks. That. Like, yeah. that he could be spending on Muldoon himself, but has to spend to take th out the workers to get through them. Um, that's crazy. Like, uh, nine cards in a third... That's almost a third of your deck. Um, mm -hmm. Just to take out sidekicks. And every damage that's over the one that they need is completely wasted damage. Um, so... Keep him away from your hero is, you know, rule number one. Um, rule number two is actually kind of a general rule for taking out Bigfoot. The jackalope should die, and the jackalope should die quickly. Um, this is can be difficult to do because, obviously, um, the jackalope can play a lot of Bigfoot's defenses. The plus side, though, is every defense that they burn protecting the jackalope is uh, not a defense they can use for Bigfoot. Um, it's a math game right. now. Uh, but you want to take out Jackalope as quickly as possible, both because, um, like if you're playing Muldoon, for example, the Jackalope, after they've gotten the six value out of all um, the Jackalope horns, they can just tank traps the whole time and just burn through their health like that. And if you're trying to decide between... Um, 
Bigfoot taking a hit, which he can't heal, and is your objective of the game, taking one damage, and the Jackalope taking one damage, you obviously want Bigfoot to take it. So the faster you kill Jackalope, the more traps Bigfoot has to tank. Um, but, obviously, the other thing is, Jackalope Horns, there's three copies. And so, ideally, in an ideal shuffle, they will be, you know, one towards the beginning, one towards the middle, one towards the end. If you take out the Jackalope towards the beginning of the game, they will only get two auto damage, which means they have that much more damage they have to find with Bigfoot, which you will then be kiting using traps and workers. Um, so taking out Jackalope early is just good for any fighter. The thing you yeah. have to realize, though, is you have to be able to pivot if the cards don't come up in your favor or if they defend them very well, and Jackalope gets at least two off, then you probably want to pivot to attacking Bigfoot himself because you don't want to waste too much damage and too much time killing Jackalope, and Jackalope isn't going to be the one hitting you for six. Um, right. So even if he uses... Jackalope to come up and attack you. I'm pretty sure the worst they can do is like a momentous shift um, for five, mm-hmm. um, which yeah. then brings up probably my final advice for taking down Bigfoot, and that's keep on him. Um, if Bigfoot is on the offensive, he has better numbers than you. I don't care who you're playing as; um, the numbers just are better. It's it's just how it works. Um, but one of Muldoon's strengths, and I was actually just walk it, watching um, Baked Goods' uh, strategy video about consistency. Um, one of Muldoon's strengths mm-hmm. is a lot of consistency, like high numbers of cards, of specific copies of cards, if that makes sense. Um, like, he has four copies of Rending Shot. He has three copies of Tactical Advance. Um, He has three copies of They Should All Be Destroyed. Um, Lots of consistency with, particularly with attacks. And so the more you attack Bigfoot, the more he'll be forced to defend with hybrids. The more he's forced to defend with hybrids, the less cards he he has to attack you with. Um, Yeah. So for Muldoon, I like to try and keep up the pressure as much as possible. Anytime that I can like um, defend with a tactical advance that allows me to move my workers into a position where I can get a double attack off on a round um, is a good... It's, it's good, because particularly since when I'm attacking, I'm controlling. So a lot of people will hold on to their feints and their uh, regroups to defend because they're worried, because, you know, Bigfoot's going to come and attack them. Um, But a regroup ain't going to do squat against a log. Um, Yeah, it's four damage to the face. Right, so, yeah, so five damage on a log is just at, like, four or five damage, you might as well take the whole log. Um, Where if you're (laughs) attacking with feints, now you're negating some of their movement ability. Now you are, and with regroups, you're pulling out defense cards because 
it could be they could all be destroyed. Um, so they pretty much have to block, and if they don't, it's free damage. Um, which, it's a war of attrition. It's little plinks. Um, you're not going to be hitting him for big unless you pull my move, and it's even harder to pull my move against Bigfoot um, than against other characters. Yeah. Uh, right, because he'll just cancel the effect. Right. Yeah. Um, but using rendings, um, using uh, ambushes, and then not boosting them, or boosting them. If they don't block, you boost it. If they do block, well, they just burned a card for a two-value attack. Um, or if you're getting really spicy, and they're not attacking your sidekicks at all, and they're just not dying, you can boost with Call for Backup. Um, That's real spicy. Yes, it, it's not often that you do that because they will f- feel like they have to get through your sidekicks, which is what you want. But call for backup yeah. is one of the most expendable uh, boost value three cards that you have. Um, the The second shot on on Muldoon is just not as good as Medusa's. I'm just it makes me sad. It hurts me right here. You hate to see it. Not not only is it not only is it only a two instead of a three, but you just don't have the value that she has. Come on, Restoration, what are you doing it's, here? It's what okay. Are you doing here because Muldoon will be better into Black Panther uh, than Medusa will. But you know, no spoilers. <laughs> oh, I, uh, Defender resolves first. Exclusive tease from Prospero. <laughs> you love to see it. Well, Prosper, I think that was all really great advice. We got a, a three-step plan. We got some good info on mathing out your win condition, some good stuff on positioning. Uh, Mike, did you have anything you wanted to add or ask Prosper while we have him here on, on the podcast? No, no. I think that uh, everybody was in for a treat with that. I think everybody knows to ban against his Muldoon, even at the 17% rin rate. Um, I myself use Muldoon quite a bit, usually. Um, I'm a believer. I'm a believer in what you said the most, which is the map is just... That's his thing, is if he can if he can do the map part portion of it and win the map position, then uh, you'll, be, you'll be doing okay. But um, other than that, I just wanted to thank him for being here and... Uh, I, I seen all your matches so far. Um, I don't mean to bring up old memories, but uh, you're doing much better than the last mm-hmm. tournament. I think we're seeing you back in full stride here. Um, possibly a run for the uh, the end of it all, and uh, maybe we'll see you in some finals. That again. would be fun. Um, I I am feeling a lot better in this tournament. I the last tournament was happening just as I was starting this new job. Um, running the game store, and so I was very focused on that. Um, I really only joined the last tournament because I felt I needed to defend my title, um, and I hadn't prepped any... The weight of expectation. Yeah. I uh, I didn't feel... I didn't do any like prep or anything, and people had prepped against me. They knew how to beat the Muldoon going in, and so I just dropped a bunch of games early and then uh, dropped out, but I am feeling a lot more confident now. Um, I mean, I, I did just beat bug, um, yesterday. So, which in a very spicy game, yeah, it was last I night. should not have, 
that, that I <laughs> I was talking about that comeback with Little Red for probably hours, and I rewatched it like six times. How you pulled that off, and I'm I'm still stunned on how that Little Red game ended. It should not. Um, and Yanangon. Yeah, I think about that, and I'm like, no, I should not have won that. That was a gimme. That was a steal. Like, Bug got that stolen <laughs> away. Um, Better to be lucky, right? I, you know, I, uh, it's you preach true. It. You preach it and it works. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like uh, Elliot said on the podcast last episode. Sometimes the wins are souffles. Sometimes they're casseroles. And I think that like going for broke win right there, you could categorize it either way. It was fun to watch <laughs> at least. I, I give yeah, the people what they It are. really was. Yeah, that's it. Well, I think you definitely gave the people what they wanted on the podcast today. Thanks so much for swinging by, Prosper. Yeah, look forward to listening in. Absolutely. I'm sure we'll have you on. Hopefully we'll have you on again. Yeah, hopefully we can get you on again sometime. Cool. Thanks. See you around. Wow. Uh, that was some detailed strategy advice from Prospero. We want to thank him again for coming on to Defender Results First. Thanks for chatting with Mike and I and giving our listeners such a like a detailed strategy for Muldoon into Bigfoot. Gave us a three-step process, mathed it all out for us and everything. That was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I, I honestly couldn't agree more. Now let's get into the most heated one of the big three, if you will. The most detective of detectives. The Sherlock Holmes. Uh, what do you got on us? Well, it's elementary, my dear Watson. Sherlock Holmes. We're looking at, let's just look at his winner of champion stats, okay? He's got only 35 plays. We'll talk about that in a second. But with those 35 plays, he's got a 69% win rate. Nice. Nice. So Sherlock has the highest band percentage in the tournament. At 75%. So, yeah, Sherlock only has 35 plays, but Sherlock has been picked uh, over 100 times. He's just he's the highest band percentage by a considerable amount, actually. Medusa is the second highest at 50%. So people are letting Medusa through half the time. Bigfoot, uh, Bigfoot's getting through about a third of the time. So there are people who are confident taking these players on. Sherlock, though. No, three fourths of the time, uh, our friends, our community members are saying, "Not a chance." Now, why is that, John? What makes you think that he is so strong that you just can't let him through? His values aren't that great. He's not a stat checker. What makes him so great? Yeah. So, um, Sherlock's whole strategy—excuse me, Sherlock's whole strategy—invoy involves royally. Uh, screwing up your opponent's day. Let's put it that way. Well, it got, sure is. <laughs> yeah, you've got scheme damage. You've got learning Bam. your opponent's hand. You've Bam. got the double maneuver strategy. Bam. You've got healing. Bam. You've got Watson the gun, a five value flat attack for no reason. And then he's got the got, Glock. He's got the Glock. Watson's coming in saving the day. And then you've got passes on passes on passes on passes. It's just of course. And this is, we didn't even talk about counterpunch, but who wants to talk about <laughs> counterpunch? Honestly, it's uh, it's it's so hard because you can't. What also makes it tough? You can't faint him, right? So if you're adjacent, counterpunch is going to get off no matter what you do against it. 
I mean, you really have to leap away. You have to, and it has to be, it has to be on him offensively counterpunching for your leap away to even work. There's just not much you can really do against a lot of his cards. It, it, it's really tough. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I didn't even mention, you can't think his cards. That's his whole thing. You can't cancel him. His his cards are Watson cards. You can't cancel any, but there's so few in the deck. It's it's almost not worth it. It's so, not. Uh, yeah, so we've had some great experts come on uh, to talk about handling Medusa and Bigfoot. And so here today to talk to us about how to take down Sherlock is... Uh, uh, nobody, actually. There's nobody here. There's nobody coming. Nobody's going to give you any strategy guides. We have not lined up a single person. We asked, folks. We asked. There's just nobody out there. So our advice is just ban him. him. Ban Let's, hammer. Just, just drop, end it. Just drop that ban hammer, folks. Look, we're looking at a 75% ban rate. What are we doing? What is going on? Those are rookie numbers. We gotta get those numbers way up. That's gonna be a ninety percent, folks. What are you doing out there? Why are you taking this guy on? Jesus, you know I, uh, you know I, I, I love to see when he gets through and somebody beats him, but it's so rare. And honestly, the the times that he loses, I don't mean this any indirect way. I'm not trying to call anybody out who plays him and loses with him. I've lost with him plenty of times, but it's usually people who are not as experienced playing him. And compared to the people who are, the people who play this man optimally, this this wonderful character, Sherlock Holmes, is dang near undefeatable. Um, I, I just, there's there's not much you can do. The best way to beat him, in my opinion, is you take Raptors, you go on Herot, you go first, and you absolutely blitz him. The problem with that is, <laughs> if you don't get your cards in the right order, even, you just get mauled anyway because his confirmed suspicion hurts all the raptors and if he pulls your eviscerate everybody takes all that damage it's 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 really tough i mean what, what strategy do you know of john yeah that raptors thing is really high risk high reward and and you make a really interesting point too when you talk about like the losses that we've seen are with people who maybe don't have the best handle on sherlock or just picking sherlock because he's a member of the big three and they've never played him before because you have to imagine that wandering caretaker is never losing with sherlock in a tournament in a tournament scene uh even though nobody lets him play his sherlock he's very vocal about it uh so to answer your question, though, Mike, as far as my own strategy goes, I, I really wanted to have something cool for the podcast. I really wanted to have like a Defender Resolves first exclusive. And so we ran a couple of matchups last week, you and I, where I was King Arthur into your Sherlock on Hanging Gardens. I, I kind of thought... You know, I was I was game crafting, theory crafting, and I was like, "This is going to be huge, and it's going to be great if we could like if I could just drop this on the podcast and just be like, guys, listen, take Arthur into Sherlock." Um, unfortunately, not really the slam dunk I wanted it to be. We did it a few times, and you won a few times. I, I won once, so I would say there's opportunity. Uh, but I mean. I won not because I played super well, but you made that one. I made a critical mistake. Um, I, you know, you never know how it goes if I didn't make the critical mistake, but I think there was just too much of an opportunity where that, that there was one game we played. It was almost like a manhandle. It was like nothing could get done for you. And it just, that's how it feels. Sometimes it feels like everything you want to do. Sherlock just takes and makes you go cry in the corner. (laughs) And just, it just, it does. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we've done, Dracula, Sherlock against Dracula. 
Oh, I think he probably has beast form in his hand. Well, let me take a peek. Oh, he does. But I'm not going to take the beast form. I'm going to make him get hurt by the beast form by doing the combo, which, as everybody may know, you're going to eliminate, trade into confirmed suspicion for your two actions. You get two passes. You take a card away from them, and then you call out another card for them to get rid of. You basically, for the cost of your two cards, your two passes, you take two of their cards. It's just, it's... <laughs> quite annoying to be honest so if you don't have a character who can multi-action drop his hand count low and keep at him um it's gonna hurt and you know when you hear that you think bruce lee it, it, it you want to make think that bruce lee does well into him right because he can keep his hand count low by keep gaining actions he technically has five feints and with bruce lee Elementary is just so easy. Oh, you it's have a three, three right now. Yeah, yeah it's you have three. A three. That's true. Even okay. if you don't guess, yeah, if you don't, if he has one card left, it's a two. Like it's not that hard. Like I mean, it's just stuff like that. So that's why I think Raptors do somewhat well is they can surround him, they can pin him, and then they can just wallop on him constantly. And they don't care about having a low hand count. They don't care about their hand being empty a lot of the times because they just do so much damage output. Yeah, it's it's not. It's just one of their things. I mean. I saw a uh, game recently with B Cyclone and the Raptors. Uh, he he, <laughs> I commented. He probably doesn't have defense right now. After the game, he messaged me. He's like, "I didn't have defense. I was just going for it." And I was like, "Yeah, that's just how Raptors play, yeah. and that does well in a Sherlock." Recklessly. Very volatile for sure. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> just to put it out to the community, if you if if that idea of Arthur on Hanging Gardens is is rolling around in your mind, uh, just gather the storms pin Sherlock on the bottom of the board so that you have the high ground. Sherlock can't go anywhere. You've got Merlin on the other side. I, I think that there's some potential there. And maybe if I worked on that more, I could exploit it. I don't know, but I put it out to you guys. Uh, most of you guys are better players and strategists than I am. So see if you can do something with it. Uh, Twister Strudel, Mr. King Arthur champ. If you're listening, do something with it. I, I believe in you. <laughs> Figure it out for us, man. We, we want to hear it. Yeah, we seriously. do. So, Mike, I think that brings us to the really cool thing. I think it is the the best thing we could have asked for. Um, as everybody knows, Restoration Games really goes out of their way for this Discord community. And if you don't know, I think you need to start realizing it. Because I don't think there's a company out there who supports a social media much more than them. Um, yeah. If you don't know, you better ask somebody. You know, and I've been very vocal. They've even helped with our uh, logo for the for the wonderful podcast we have here. And when I personally asked Justin, hey, is it cool if we make a podcast? And he was for it. He loved the idea. Um, and then he, he told me once, he said, you know, if you ever need somebody, um, just ask and we'll see what we can do. And I tell you what, John, I did. And why don't you tell us who we got here today? Yeah, so pretty exciting. Uh, we were really excited to sit down and talk to Brian, uh, game designer uh, with Restoration Games. You know him from the Discord. Brian is in, and uh, Noah and Justin and Rob and the whole team, they're all involved in the designing of the decks. Uh, Brian is probably uh, one of the most vocal members of the team in the Discord, so you've probably seen him around. I know that he and Noah have both been really excited and really vocal about the Marvel set. So we, we, we got Brian to come on, guys, and talk about the big three how that influences what Restoration Games is doing for design, what Restoration Games thinks about the big three. It's a great time. Uh, let's just let's just get right into it. I mean, this is such a treat. 
All right. Well, we get to welcome to the show today, Brian from Restoration Games. This is a, a great treat for us. I know it's going to be a huge treat for our listeners. Brian, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, I, I love love being on podcast. Yeah, this is. I mean, this is so cool, and to have you on this our second episode about the big three. Uh, we really want to pick your brain today uh, about what you guys think about the big three. If that's cool. Well, great. Yeah, I want to start by asking, how do you feel about having a big three? Uh, so I think that this is sort of an interesting subject whenever we talk about it, because like we, we do talk about sort of the big three in our design meetings, right? Um, and it was such an organic thing that came out of the sort of competitive scene. Like we didn't design Medusa, Sherlock, and Bigfoot to be like sure. the strongest characters. Um, you know, we we like designed them all to be relatively balanced. And I mean, for reference, uh, Bigfoot and Medusa were from before I came on as a designer. So that was sort of Restoration's first shot at, you know, like what should characters feel like, what is balance like, and so like we sort of expected, I think, a little bit of, well, there's going to be some overpowered characters and underpowered characters, um, because I think that happens in any competitive game, but. Sherlock, I think, was really interesting because the community plays this game so much differently than we do internally. And we released Sherlock before there was this sort of big competitive scene, right? So, like, we were sitting there, you know, in the finish, putting the finishing touches on Cobble and Fog, and we were like, oh man, are we sure that Dracula is not going to be really overpowered? Are we sure that Jekyll and Hyde need these, like, need these things? And, like, we were having all of these minute discussions, and we were like, <laughs> yep, Sherlock's done absolutely good he's perfectly balanced and all of this other stuff and then we released him and the community right. just, just was lurking them, menacingly right? um <laughs> yeah <laughs> just like just like in the back of the box um so you know it's it's really interesting because having the competitive community has sort of taught us a lot of lessons about how people play this game at a high level and how people are sort of receiving these characters so you know for me i think having a big three is sort of a boon to us as designers right because it's it's sort of the thing that we can put our flagpole on to say like oh how powerful are these characters well how do they play against you know bigfoot medusa and sherlock and that gives us a really good gauge on you know like whether or not these characters are going to to feel good and feel powerful especially yeah. in, in high level um play. kind of want to offshoot of on off that because you brought up something interesting um how do you guys internally balance when you know when you're talking about new fighters and, and stuff the competitive side of the community which i have to imagine is a minority in terms of like your sales potential like how do you balance developing these fighters knowing there is a, se a sect of your your sales potential that is super competitive, but then larger than that, there's a lot of people who are going to pick this game up, buy it, play it three to five times, stick it in their closet and never look at it again. Sure. Um, yeah. Like I think that this is a really fun sort of ethos that we get whenever we get to design unmatched, right? Unmatched is, is I think a lot of people make comparisons to things like, you know, Warhammer or, Magic the Gathering or things like that when they talk about the way that we go around and balancing these sets, right? There's a little bit of a misconception there because we get the benefit of having having a completely playable mm -hmm. experience in one box, right? We're not expecting the the average consumer to, you know, buy hundreds of dollars worth of product and then like spend time building decks or sure. building armies or whatever, right? Um, 
so we sort of get this cool thing where we get to say for people who are more casual for people who don't want to sort of jump into the to the deep end as it were of like the competitive and join the discord and be in tournaments and things like that for the people that don't want to do that we have to assume that they're going to buy like this mm-hmm. box and maybe one other one and so realistically our job is relatively easy right because we just have to make sure that the box is balanced we have to make sure that all four of the characters are a fun matchup and that you know players are going to have a good time putting these characters together and then we can spend much more time on sort of the competitive experience where we say like you know how does this person compare against sherlock or medusa how do they compare against invisible man and all of this other stuff um and for mike who's been a part of our play tests you know, there we we run our playtests in a bunch of different waves. Um, where the first wave, when we don't have any data and we don't know what's going on, we just sort of say play against whoever because mm-hmm. we don't know how balanced these are, and so we just sort of toss it to the community and we say like, please tell us if there's anything that's horribly wrong, and we get some good data on that, and then we run as many playtests as we need to to make sure the box is balanced within itself. Um, usually, that's pretty easy. Uh, but sometimes, you know, especially with like the Marvel sets, we had some trouble with it. Um, and, you know, then we do one final play test of, hey, play against whoever you like. We usually try and select for people who are super involved in the community. We call them our power users. Um, and like our last play test that we run, we we are just like, go nuts. We've balanced these guys. We think that they're ready. We're going to do some small tweaks after this. But like, by and large, we know the form that they're going to take. And that helps us really home in on like the sort okay. of competitive numbers, right? Like, should this be a six or a seven? What should this boost value be? How much damage should this cool. do? That sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I think to jump on that, I think to jump on that, Battle Legends Volume 2, pristine. Balanced within itself really well. And then how it does against the rest of the decks that are out, fantastic. I, I have to say so myself. I think well, great. phenomenal job. Best set. Yeah, Personally, super appreciate set. that. Um, I think I'm not the only one in saying that. I hope I'm not the only one. I don't know what the listeners think. We'd love to hear what you have to say about that. You guys knocked it out of the park. It was long awaited, and it was worth every minute. Yeah, um, and it's cool because you're seeing how it's shaping up, uh, shaking up the meta right now in the Winter of Champions tournament. Um, I know that that question didn't really relate to the big three, but I couldn't resist because you're here and... Yeah, cool. Um, well, okay. do you even agree, like internally? Do you guys agree with the big three, with the meta around them, or do you feel like we're missing something, or that uh, there's somebody else maybe that we need to be focusing on? Like, how do you guys even feel about the chosen three? So this is this is sort of an interesting question, right? Because like whenever we talk about metas and like big three and chosen characters and high tier and low tier, right? That's all. Like that stuff is all community defined, right? Um, So that meta definitely exists because that's the way that people who are playing tournaments play. Um, Do I think that like those are the three strongest characters in the game? Like, nah, my girl, my girl, Little Red is up there, and like I can, like I, I feel like I can take all comers with Little Red, Uh, you know. But John sort of showed me up on stream a couple of times. (laughs) Um. As is tradition, right? He, if he if he's gonna smack down Justin, I gotta go in and take my lumps too. Um, but uh, no, I think that like I think that it's interesting, especially because we see so far into the future, right? Like we're working on sets right now that aren't gonna come out okay. until twenty twenty four, and so having that data is really interesting to us because 
frankly, y'all play this game way more than we do, you know, and like, there's no, there's no way that we're ever going to beat out the competitive experience of like 50 Mm -hmm. unmatched fans in a room. Right. Um, so, you know, we do lean on that stuff a lot and we do think that like, you know, whether or not it's, it's perceived value or like real value, that value is there and that value exists, right? Competitively. And so we do have to take that into account because we are paying attention to the audience. We're listening to you guys whenever, you know, we talk about it. I usually pop into the community tournaments channel every, you know, at least once a day just to sort of catch up on stuff. And so, you know, it's that those things existing um, and and shaping the tournament scene are super, super interesting. And sort of like you said, Battle of Legends Volume 2 is, is shaping up that meta now as we speak during the Winter of Legends tournament. Um, you know, because like we're finding out that like Yenenga mm-hmm. plays really well into Bigfoot. And so it's really interesting to see like, oh, that's how this is breaking down. And that's how sort of we're going to see this meta change and evolve over the course of the next six to 12 months. And I think even more so when the Marvel characters come out, right? Like, I think that there are a lot of Marvel characters that, that sort of interact with, with those big three characters in a way that is really, really interesting. Um, and so we sort of hope to see it there that, you know, um, we, we hope to see it that the Marvel characters change the way that people are doing pick bands and, and things like that, where, you know, they can say like, Oh, someone else has picked Sherlock and Sherlock is much more of a 50, 50 matchup against these characters. So, you know, I'll, I'll jump in on them, you know, and that's sort of the, the goal that we sort of, uh, start out with whenever we start designing a character, whenever we start doing that sort of fine tuning balance is like, how is this going to match up against the people that are really strong? How is this going to match up against the people that are really weak? How do we create fair matchups? Cool. Yeah, that leads right into what I wanted to ask you, which is how does having this community perceived big three influence the development of new fighters? So for example, with these Marvel characters or anybody you're working on now, are you looking and saying, you know, this is our power cap or, and we don't want to go above it. Or are you saying, uh, no, (laughs) that's, that's not necessarily the case. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, Rob um, is always sort of the the angel on the shoulder whenever we're having our design meetings because we always, you know, like Noah, Noah and I are consummate magic players. We've been playing mm-hmm. magic for like 25 years, right? Um, and so magic has a huge like power creep problem where like every set that comes out is just more powerful than the last one. And then eventually they go off of a cliff and you get a set that is like, absolutely low power and then they sort of do that cycle over and over again um and they've been doing it for like a decade and so rob rob and justin specifically aren't in that mindset and they haven't been for their entire design careers and so it's like it's really valuable to have different types of designers in the room um because rob gets to sort of whenever we have these really wacky powerful ideas he sort of gets to like sit us down and say like hey we don't want to make sure we, we want to make sure that somebody who plays, who loves playing Sherlock or loves playing Bigfoot doesn't look at the set and go like, "What? Well, I, I can't play mm-hmm. my favorite character anymore. Right. So we want to make sure there's always a reason to do those, to do those picks. And like, you know, like anything else, sometimes we're successful and sometimes we aren't, but it's really important to us to make sure that like people get attached to these characters, right? People have their favorites and we want to make sure that they have a reason to, to play their favorites. Right. And so, we sort of come at it from two angles. I think the big three is a, is, is a big one, right? Where we want to make sure that like 
even if we have someone who is you know good against medusa that we specifically designed to be good against medusa um we want to make sure that like that match is 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 still pretty close to 50 50 right like 60 40 is is okay and you know it's statistics and so none of these numbers are really solid but like that's sort of what we're aiming for right so that even if you're like man i want to stun on this person i'm going to play like sure. medusa into luke cage right that like you still you still get that sort of feeling because Medusa is your favorite and you win that matchup because you know Medusa better than anybody else and that's a point of pride for you and that's great you know and we want to make sure it's that way for most of the characters right and I think like you know some people have pointed out to like the Buffy set where it's like competitively you know you have like Angel and Spike and Willow who don't do super well and who are much more difficult to sort of play into those matchups and you know that's that's us like that's us having a bunch of different design goals right Buffy is, you know, very good in 2v2 and does a lot of interesting interactions and things like that. And I think some of the fallout of that is, coincidentally, they're not as good in this competitive play. You know, and I think if we went back and did it again, we probably would have paid much more attention to the competitive scene when we were designing right. those sets, yeah. but it didn't exist at the time. You know, so it was sort of, sort of, sort of, uh, you know, a, a confluence of a lot of things, making sure that, you know, those characters aren't aren't quite as up to snuff as I think some of the other characters are. But that being said, you know, we have we have this like power cap where not necessarily a power cap but like sort of a ceiling that we can look to now competitively and say like oh you know we don't want people to have more cancels than bigfoot we don't want people to have more mobility and card draw you know and ripping hands apart than medusa we don't want people to deal more direct damage than sherlock you know and we have a lot of those sort of ideas where people talk about you know this is the area where these characters are really strong and we can sort of set those as sort of soft limits that, you know, we can test. But if playtesting data comes back and, you know, we see that like, you know, Luke Cage or Ghost Rider wins 85% of the time, we can go back and sure. say, okay, here's why, right? Because these, the, these are the things that the community thinks is really strong. And we've leaned a little bit too hard into those awesome. things. Well, thanks for the honest answer there, Brian. Yeah. Uh, one thing we like to ask everyone, and I should have asked you at the top, but I was just so excited to have you here, is uh, what is your unmatched origin story? How did you first get involved with the game? Sure. So um, I started working at Restoration not on, 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 not on Unmatched at all. Um, I originally started working at Restoration because uh, Return to Dark Tower was in progress, and it was this big, huge project that had a bunch of stuff. And, you know, at that time, the just the design team was like just Justin and Rob um, and another designer who designed Gloomhaven, Isaac Childress, was working on this project. Um, but it ended up becoming so big and, and, and so crazy that they needed new people to come on. Um, and so me and Noah came on at almost the exact same time and we'd worked together on some other stuff. Uh, and, you know, we were like, hey, Return to Dark Tower was our life for six months. Um, and this was in early 2019 that this was happening um late late 2018 early 2019 and so it was like right around when cobble and fog was getting finished up and cobble and fog was was um for the most part designed by um chris leader and kevin rogers who are freelance designers and and mm -hmm. did an amazing job with that set um you know and so we were sort of working on return to dark tower while they were working on cobble and fog and then, you know, all of a sudden I just, I just sort of got a DM from Justin that was like, 
oh, you played a bunch of magic with us the, during the last thing. Do you want to do you also want to work on this card game? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, of course I do. Like, I love card games. What is it? And, you know, so I, I got a crash course in Unmatched at that time. And I sat down and I played a bunch of games and I was like, man, this game is really cool. Um, you know, and so I did a little bit of development work on Cobble and Fog and then it sort of spun off into um, me working on Little Red Riding Hood versus Beowulf. And Justin was like, hey, we sort of have a high level concept for these characters. Do you think you could design their decks and do all of this other stuff? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And I sat down and I, I designed Little Red first um, and, you know, designed Beowulf shortly thereafter, which... You know, a lot of people point out that sort of is a jump in complexity from from the rest of the sets. And I think that's largely because, you know, I jumped in and I didn't have a really good handle on what was too complex and what wasn't complex enough, you know, yet. Um, and so, like, that was that was sort of where I got started doing doing the unmatched thing was like going in and, you know, working on Little Red and working on Beowulf and sort of fine tuning these characters Um and I ended up calling Noah in and I was like, hey, I have no idea what to do for Beowulf. What do you think Beowulf should do? And he was like, oh, no, big angry yeah. barbarian. You got it. <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh, yeah, perfect. Exactly that. And so that's where the rage tokens came from and all of that sort of stuff. Um, you know, and then Justin has a way of sort of coming in and saying like, oh, all of these card names are super cool. I've read, you know, I have 400 different copies of the Grim Fairy Tales in my house. So I know exactly what all these little red card names need to be. Um so, you know, we all have our roles and, and, you know, I like to think of, I like to think of myself as sort of the person who goes in and sort of takes all of the experiences that we want and sort of puts them into a box. Um, and I do that with all the products, not just unmatched. Um, and it's really interesting to work with people, you know, Justin, Noah and Rob, who are all incredible designers and, you know, being able to say like, let's, let's sort of fit all of these experiences into, into this box, you know, with card effects and card names and things that people can understand. Um, you know, so it's nice to be able to, to, to sort of have those conversations. Um, and again, that's why Little Red is, is absolutely my favorite character is because she was, she was, yeah, my that's like your baby. On unmatched. Um, yeah, 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 oh, yeah. Awesome. Mike, do you have any questions for Brian before I let him plug everything he needs to? Well, no, not not necessarily. Um, when looking at kind of what you brought up, maybe is complexity of fighters. You know, I think you said it yourself. Do you think in the future we'll have some more complex fighters like that again, or is that like, a, hey, we did this. We don't know if it was perceived well enough. Maybe we shouldn't do this. I don't know what you're, you know, allowed to diverse upon that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I can talk, I can talk about some of that stuff. Like, um, I think, you know, our, our sort of first big question that we ask whenever we are designing a box, um, is we always have to ask like, who is this box for? Um, Battle of Legends volume two is a really good example. Uh, cause volume two is, it has two in the name. So most of the people who are going to pick it up have yeah, probably already played unmatched before. So like that box, the complexity in it is a little bit higher. It has bonus attacks and it has, you know, like some of the more complex schemes and, and abilities and things like that. Um, when we go back and we look at Marvel, the Marvel characters are certainly less complex than Battle of Legends Volume Two. It has an IP. We're expecting it to. Uh, we're expecting it to reach a little bit of a wider audience and things like that. So those characters, you know, we had to figure out how to get the power level that we wanted in much much fewer words and much simpler concepts, right? And so, you know, you saw things like the the Daredevil spoiler 
which is like Daredevil's thing is he gets a low he gets a low hand count and he can blind boost off of his deck. And that's sort of mm-hmm. a cool thing that he gets to do. Um, Moon Knight, we got to do a cool thing because we got to just like put a bunch of different effects on his cards um, or a bunch of different effects on his identities, but his cards are all relatively simple. So the actions that you're doing with him are relatively simple and he sort of rotates through these three identities. And so we got to do a lot of cool stuff with the Marvel um, with the Marvel license because those characters are so rich. But it was also a design challenge because we had to make sure that someone who, you know, picks up the, the you know, Redemption Row is the first box that they pick up. that They don't go, man, this game is way too complicated for me. You know, so I think that the thing that you'll see is that those characters are probably are, are lower in complexity level mm-hmm. than Little Red and Beowulf in Battle of Legends Volume 2, probably higher than Volume 1. But you know, the, the first and most important thing with those boxes is that the characters yeah. feel like those characters. Theme right? above all else. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, and, and John, I know that you're yes. a big, uh, a big sort of Moon Knight fan. Um, so I'm really, I'm really hoping that uh, I am too. I'm really hoping that we get, that we sort of hit that right on. Um, and, you know, we, we started working on this before we knew when the, the Moon Knight series was going to come out. So it's just super lucky that we're releasing like so close to it. And that so many people get to discover this character in two different ways. Yeah, I mean, your timing, all these delays that happened, I actually feel like the timing worked out in your favor because now all the Netflix shows that have Daredevil and, you know, Luke Cage, they're popping back up on Disney Plus mid-March. They're like part of the zeitgeist discussion again and Moon Knight's coming out at the end of the month. So I think this worked out for you. And I mean, for me as the huge Moon Knight fan, I'm eating well this month. Yes, Yes, you are. Yeah. Favorite board game gets gets your character. Yeah. TV show about to drop. Yeah. That's a good time thematically, to be me. Thematically, I don't think there's anything anybody can say they're disappointed in. You, like I say, you've always knocked everything out of the park from any set. I mean, even the Buffy set, you know, people say it's so low powered. But when watching the show and then realizing, you know, what the cards are and everything that they're in, I mean, it is so perfect. I mean, I had one friend who didn't quite finish the Buffy series. And they were like, why does, why does Willow have a resurrection card? And I was like, oh, <laughs> well, you'll find out. Uh, <laughs> Spoilies. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I mean, Mike and I are really excited for these Marvel sets. Um, by the time this drops, we'll have already ordered our boxes. We're really stoked. Yeah. Um, and everything I've seen of Moon Knight, like that, that image that you guys released last week, it just looks great. Like as as the resident Moon Knight guy, I just gotta say, you guys knocked this out of the park. It just looks it just looks so cool. Well, I, I, I appreciate, appreciate it. <laughs> so, <laughs> Brian, thanks so much for being here. What like I know you've got some stuff you want to say. So what's uh, what's on your mind? Yeah. So um, I I really appreciate y'all uh, bringing up the Marvel set and talking about pre orders. Um, pre orders should be open by the time this episode comes out. Um, so if you want to go directly to our store, which is restorationgames.com backslash shop, uh, you can pre-order all of the Marvel set, or you can pre-order the first two Marvel sets there. Um, later on in April, uh, we should uh, have pre-orders up for the Jurassic Park set. Um, so, you know, if you really want those sets, um, we really appreciate it. If you go to the website and get them direct from us, it's also the quickest way to get it. Um, as we will send out your orders before they go into retail stores. Um, uh, we really appreciate the support y'all. Um, we've been doing, y'all been doing a really, really great job. Um, 
you know, both with this podcast and in the community in general, just sort of keeping things upbeat, keeping things real happy, um, keeping things positive. We appreciate it. Um, and so uh, as far as restorationgames.com uh, slash shop goes, um, you can also find all of the other unmatched sets there. Um, we should be getting uh, the first Jurassic Park set in again soon, um, as well as Battle of Legends Volume 2, Battle of Legends Volume 1, and all of the other stuff. Um, so uh, if you are looking to scratch an unmatched itch, soon. that's the place to go. <laughs> soon. Um, oh, I've, I soon. might have heard something in that Discord that if we purchased the Marvel sets on the shop, we may be getting something if we ordered in time. Is that correct? Ah, uh, yes, that is correct. Um, so if you go in and you have a pre-order during our pre-order window, you will get a never-before-seen promo. That's awesome. I'm excited about that. And when, when is that order window? When should we expect to have that uh, order window be? What do you think? Uh, our pre-order windows are staying open from the 7th until sometime around okay. the end of March. Um, so, uh, that's when the pre-order window is going to be open for, and then it'll ship sort of shortly after that. Um, so, uh, cool. you know, be on Heard the lookout for that. first, where to get it, how to get it, and you get something special. I think it's a hard, tough bargain to beat everyone. I really do. <laughs> Man, thank you so much for coming on, Brian. We really appreciate it. This is a, a really awesome thing for us. Well, thank you all uh, again for for doing this and for keeping the community upbeat and positive. Yeah. We really thank appreciate you, it. Wow, what an interview! Mike and I really want to thank Brian for coming on to the podcast and talking to us. That's just, I mean, what great support from Restoration Games from their team. We've been so grateful and so thankful for everything they've done. And man, Mike, we got some really good interviews this this episode so far, huh? Yeah, not only did uh, great restoration help from Brian come through, we had good old Prospero on, as is tradition, for him to bring some great insight on Muldoon and Bigfoot, as well as our friend Pomidipin. But I do say so myself, John, I think that the big three are somewhat to be absolutely terrifying, if you will. Yeah, I'm really... And I don't know if there's anything really that could beat them. Yeah. I... Whoa, 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 guys. How can you make a podcast episode about the big three without talking about the big one? Oh, and we all know that, who that is. Hold on. Is that? Is that Zero Skater is that 12? What? That's right, guys. It's me. <laughs> what? Is it not enough for him to beat me on his stream that he has to come on my podcast and degrade my content? <laughs> what is going on right now? Hold on. Zero Skater 12. John, what, what are you doing here? What? Well, you know, I had to come on and uh, check out the podcast. I know you guys have started this thing up, and I fully support it. It's awesome. But you got this whole episode about the big three, and you're just going to leave it at that? You're not even going to talk about Yanenga at all? Yanenga? Oh, John, is this is this your big one thing? <laughs> you better believe it. Yanenga oh. is the new big one. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, you're here. Uh, we're really we're excited to have you. I suppose everybody definitely wants to hear what you have to say. So, what's up? What's the big one? What's going on with Yunanga? Tell tell me all about her. Well, I mean, she's just the best. What what more do I need to say? <laughs> but uh, so okay, I guess I'll start with uh, the story of Yunanga. Back in uh, at Gen Con last year, we well, I myself am against spoilers, so I had just found out and seen the new decks at Gen Con. And I saw Yananga, and I was like, holy cow, this 
fighter is just ridiculous. Like she has everything. I counted up her health total. It like, you know, theoretically equals up to like 35. And I was like, oh my God, this thing's insane. So um, we tried out a game, me and Mike actually, and it was my Jekyll versus his Yananga. And I got absolutely destroyed. Uh, it was soul crushing. I mean, to say the least, I just felt like I had no hope. Uh, she had so much health and I just couldn't do anything at all. And it was devastating. And then the whole rest of the weekend at Gen Con, we were just sitting there talking about all the different matchups. And we were like, how does she lose? Who does she even lose to? Uh, does, can anybody do anything? And I even told Justin that weekend, I was like, yeah, Yananga's the best fighter in the game. I'm calling it right now. <laughs> so uh, time goes on and, you know, I'm, I start playing more and more uh, Battle of Legends Volume 2. And I kind of was thinking maybe I overreacted. You know, maybe Yananga's not that bad. I mean, she's good, but is she really that good? I, I started to not think so. But then for the Winter of Champions tournament that's going on, I started playing her a lot more in preparation just because I had a lot of fun playing her. And the more and more I played her, I started to realize, you know, maybe I was right back at Gen Con. <laughs> maybe she is that good because she can just... She really has like very few losing matchups, and even the ones she does lose, she still has a, a shot to win. So, yeah, yeah, I think you're, I think you're onto something there. Hey, John, what do you think? And by John, I mean our own host, Tommy Elliott. How do you feel about Yenanga going on, especially with the Winter of Champions tournament? Well, I guess I want to ask you some questions then, Zero, because so. Yanenga is the most played fighter this tournament, 81 plays. Uh, that puts her 21 plays ahead of Medusa at number two, which is a pretty big gap. So obviously there's something to what you're saying. People are clearly thinking what you're thinking, but her win rate is only 53%. It's it's below what the big three are putting out. So what, what yeah, do you make so, of that? Well, it is really interesting to see that many plays. I mean, obviously that just shows the hype surrounding Yananga and uh, I guess you know like you said people are buying into the theory but uh, she is a bit difficult to play um, she's not super one-dimensional like some other fighters like let's say Bigfoot um, she she takes a lot of matchup knowledge in each particular matchup of how to position your archers and you know when to use certain cards and so the thing with her deck is it's so incredibly consistent every card is pretty dang good but there's no cards like beast form or forever hide or do my bidding or you know those big bomb cards that really the deck revolves around everything is kind of spread out in terms of power level so it's it's hard to to tell you know when to use these cards uh most effectively and um it really is uh she's very skill-based and so if you go in thinking, okay, Yenenga is just, I've heard she's the best, she's going to beat everybody, but you don't actually know how to play a particular matchup, you can definitely get punished. Because my thought on Yenenga is that she might have maybe an average about 50 to 60% win rate in pretty much every matchup. Um, maybe a couple matchups where she's sub 50, but very few. Um, and so, you know, when the matchup isn't that heavily favored towards Yenenga, it can go either way, and you really just have to rely on your skill and your experience in that particular matchup in order to get the win. But as long as you've practiced those matchups and you have that experience, um, you can just feel safe picking Yenanga into, you know, blindly into pretty much anybody. So you're saying big one. 
Does that mean that uh, you can take her into any matchup with the big three, Sherlock, Bigfoot, or Medusa? Can she beat them? Yeah, so that's the moment that I really started to solidify my theory from Gen Con when I started prepping for Winter of Champions and I brought her into all of the big three matchups because I really wanted to stress test that and see how she would do into them. And I honestly just found myself winning like almost every game in all of the big three, Medusa, Sherlock, Bigfoot, all of them. And I was like, oh my gosh, like she's just destroying these characters that we previously had thought were by far, you know, the top of the tier list. And so I was just really surprised by that. And then I obviously played other matchups. Like, um, for example, Sinbad is one of her worst matchups. And Sinbad's a good character, but he was never in the talk of the big three. And Bruce Lee even, you know, Bruce Lee was kind of low on the tier list, but he does really well in Tianenga, and so does Bloody Mary. And so there's a lot of, uh, quote, lower tier fighters that actually do really well into her. But when she goes up against the previous big three, she just kind of destroys them, honestly. I love that you keep saying the previous big three. Like, you are set on it's the big one now. This is the the new meta. The meta shifted this way. Do you think that that's going to catch on? Or do you think that this is a character that is too skill-based, too knowledge-based? That's a good question. It's really hard to say at this point. Um, I think if people enjoy playing Yanenga and put in the time to practice, then she will definitely remain, you know, very relevant in the meta. Um, her weakness, like I had mentioned, is that she can be counterpicked a little more heavily than the big three can. Um, the big three have a lot, uh, bigger margins in their win rates, like in their winning matchups, they usually win by a lot, right? And whereas Yanenga wins by a little bit, but winning a matchup percentage by a little bit is enough as long as you have the skill to, you know, execute that optimally. So it's hard to say. Um, I think it's not quite as much of a, I would say, a fad as Muldoon was. I think there's a little more staying power in Yanenga here, but um, she could definitely fall, especially in the future with new fighters being released because she doesn't have feints and that is a big weakness potentially. Um, so we're going to have to see how the new fighters, you know, play out with the, the new Marvel stuff and all that. Cool. Mike, do you have anything to add to this guy who just kind of hijacked our segment here? Yeah. Do you think maybe that Yanenga, even though she's big one, do you worry about the Sinbad counter pick? Do you worry about the Bloody Mary? I mean, we kind of went over it real quick that they do pretty well into her. Would you say for people to worry about that if they try to pick her in the tournament per se? For instance, I don't think I've ever seen you first pick Yanenga in your three rounds. I think you've always first picked Sherlock or somebody strong on that sense, and then you per- pick your way into Yanenga. Is that because you're worried about the double counter? Um well, what, what makes you think that she's not still first pickable, even though she could be, as you said it yourself, and I do agree, the big one? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, yeah, there's a reason why I don't first pick her because of exactly what you said. So if you first pick Yanenga, you leave yourself open to getting triple counterpicked. Some like a lineup like, let's say, Sinbad, Bloody Mary, Bruce Lee. And Yanenga's going to have to win one of those matchups. And although she definitely can, like I said, she can win into any matchup, even her losing ones. But you don't want to 
put yourself in that situation, right? You want to have the best shot at winning each game. So no reason to first pick Yanenga and open yourself up to that situation when you can just pick one of the previous big three to probably draw out a ban and then have your Yanenga for the rest of the fighters. And by that time, they've already passed their opportunity, most likely, to full counter Yanenga. Because if I'm confident that Yanenga can beat any of the big three, their first pick is usually a big three member. So then if they end up picking Sinbad, um, I can just ban Sinbad. And I've done that before in the tourney. I think that's the way to go, because as long as you're confident with your Yanenga into the big three, she can do it. So I know there's a stigma about, you know, oh my gosh, it's the big three. I, I have to ban them. It's an auto ban. And uh, that's not actually always the right thing to do. Because if you have a fighter that can that can beat them, you know, why not take away and ban the fighter that Yanenga really has trouble with being a Sinbad or Bloody Mary? So yeah, I would uh, definitely be ready to ban, you know, odd picks like that and leave the big three open. I couldn't agree more, especially with the uh, new matchup this tournament looking like Yanenga and Medusa compared to the Bigfoot Muldoon as we keep bringing up. I think we're onto something there. I think she is somebody who can be kind of detrimental in who you ban from here on. Um, you know, the great thing about this game is how the meta always shifts when new sets come out. I think we'll see that again when Marvel comes out one way or the other. What do you think, Tommy? Well, uh, you know, Zero, I really want to appreciate you for coming on and spilling all of your strategy with four weeks left in this tournament. Uh, so I, <laughs> I think that could uh, be interesting. Um, but our listeners definitely appreciate it. We really like hearing the side about the Yanenga, especially because um, everybody who listens, you know, plays this game. Um, and a lot of people are in the tournament and um, they're picking her, right? She's the number one pick. So I think it's really valuable for everybody to hear your thoughts on that as Clearly, people are smelling what you're stepping in. People are people are yeah. go, people are going with this pick, um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that you champion her so much, and the community does um, tend to follow your lead on things because they trust you. You're a smart uh, player, so thanks for coming on and talking. This is a nice yeah, surprise. my pleasure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I love being on the show. I'm super excited for everything you guys are doing. I can't wait for more. And I'm always happy to, you know, spill the beans, so to speak. I, I want to, you know, raise the level of every, all the players in the in the competitive community, um, not just, you know, remain on the top. But <laughs> I'd rather bring everybody else up. So uh, always happy to help teach uh, and, you know, help people learn and get better at this game. You love to see it. I'm sure this won't be the last time you're with us. I would love to be back. So anytime, just let me know. Excited to have you back. Yeah. Next time, we can schedule it. You don't have to just pop in unannounced. But <laughs> Okay, okay. Sounds good. I'll try not to interrupt Fair anymore. Fair enough. All right. Well, we'll talk to you soon, Sarah. Thanks for stopping by. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. Well, with that uh, surprise appearance by John there out of the way, I, I, I suppose uh, 
that's all, folks. Uh, just to, to wrap up here, um, just going to reiterate what Brian threw out there. You can buy the new Marvel sets on Restoration Games' website. Uh, Redemption Row is available to ship now. So if you order that right now, it, it will ship uh, within 48 hours, I believe is what Justin has said in the Discord. And if you're ordering it, you're going to get an Achilles heel foil card, which is pretty snazzy. Hell's Kitchen is also up for order. Uh, it is a pre-order, though. It's looking like by the time you hear this episode, it should be shipping within a week and a half to two weeks from air date of the episode. Uh, just talking about our guests and how thankful we were to have them on the show. Thanks again to Pimetapin for hopping on. Nothing to plug there, but for our other two guests, we've got some links for you. Uh, Prospero, he streams his matches on Prospero Sparks. That's P-R-O-S-P-E-R-O. S-P-A-R-K-S. I'm going to say that again because I coughed. It's P-R-O-S-P-E-R-O-S-P-A-R-K-S. That's uh, his Twitch channel. He does stream a lot of his tournament matches through that. Those are always an exciting watch. So uh, go give him a follow. Watch his games. He just had a really exciting one with Bug this past week. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, Yeah, he kind of talked about that in in an interview, and it's just a good time. Um, And then... John, who surprised us with his appearance talking about Yenenga, um, you can follow him on Twitch and also on YouTube. So he'll stream his matches on Twitch at ZeroSkater12. That's Z-E-R-O-S-K-A-T-R, no E, 1-2. So Z-E-R-O-S-K-A-T-R, 1-2. Um, and then he edits those videos down into a more... Mm, casual relaxed like sit down and watch in one sitting uh event on his youtube he also has other unmatched videos on his youtube some strategy guides some playtesting guild stuff just like a lot of really great premiere unmatched content so if you're not already following john on twitch and youtube you really should be absolutely we want to thank everybody for listening and to get into some nice little quick end segment here we've had a lot of questions regarding our scheduling for our episodes uh, both in personal messages, and also I saw it once in the discussion. Um, here, here's, here's I think, our answer that we both agreed upon. Look for at least two episodes a month from us. I think we can put that out, and I think I can safely say that. We're going to try to do a bi-weekly schedule. That's not us trying to say we're every Monday or, you know, every other Tuesday. Um, it's more so, you know, I've, I've mentioned this a couple times. I'm very open about it. My schedule at work is kind of rough sometimes it has nothing to do with the fact that i've gone to vegas two weeks in a row it's all about work um, right, <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh that being said i think we have a lot lined up um i don't think it's a question we've had people reach out to us about what they want to talk about they would love to come on and we would love to have everybody um john what else you got yeah, I mean, on that note about reaching out to us about topics you'd love to see, I mean, if, if, if you've got an episode uh, hook in mind, if you've got something that you passionately want to hear about, maybe something you passionately want to speak about, or you've got a question for Mike, myself, or or any of our esteemed guests, you can shoot us an email at defenderresolvesfirst at gmail.com. That's right, folks. The podcast is an email, so we're, we're getting just, official, folks. We're just doing big things. So again, that's Defender Resolves first. The podcast uh, title at Gmail dot com. Just email us whatever you want. You got some questions? You got some thoughts? We're also on the Discord. You can DM us whenever you want. Uh, I th- I thought the email might be a little more organized and it's just an easier way to to see what you you guys want to see. Uh, 
But going off that, the next time you'll hear from us uh, is the first of a series that will have no schedule because we're going to free flow it. But uh, this was something that was actually asked for in the Discord. Uh, Hubris brought it up, and I thought it was like a really good idea. It's something Mike and I had talked about before, but we weren't sure how much interest there'd be. So emboldened by the discussion in the Discord, we'll be doing the very first Unmatched Book Club episode. So we'll be joined by Baked Goods. Uh, He and I have read Beowulf. We'll be talking about Beowulf. We'll be uh, analyzing it, not just as an epic poem uh, for literary discussion, but we're going to be looking at how Restoration Games adapted the poem into the deck. So we'll be looking through the deck, we'll be looking through some cards, and we're going to talk about where do these cards come from, what's the thematic link, etc., etc., etc. So we're pretty into it. I think it's going to be kind of cool, and so many of the characters are literary that we can we can really draw a lot from that well. And I know Mike will be excited for when we do the Jurassic Park. Jurassic I Park love one. it! Yeah, so, uh, yeah, look forward to, to that. The very first one, again, with Baked Goods. That'll be our next episode, and we'll be talking about Beowulf. Yep, and uh, I think we're good there. So, as always, folks, Defender Resolves first. You'll love to see it.